Welcome back to another episode of Colony Drop. My name is Brian. And my name is Isaac. This is your favorite Gundam podcast where we talk about everything from Gunpla to Gundam lore, Gundam animated series, movies, the music, anything and everything that is Gundam in the Gundam meta genre universe. That's right. And today, Isaac, we have a very special episode. We are jumping back onto our UC Next 100 horse. We're riding that horse. We're galloping down across the solar system, Brian. (laughs) We are traveling to Jupiter. (gasps) Isaac, this has to be the most popular non-animated work, right? Probably. I mean, I'm trying to think what rivals it. Not Gaia Gear. (laughs) No. (laughs) Uh, I'm trying to think, like, when the seed came out, did its own manga, like, did that develop a very strong following? I think it did, but... Astray, I think. Is yeah, just, Astray. Yeah. yeah, there's. I think there might be one or two, but yeah, the Astray series. Okay, I can okay. see the Astray that, series. That's being a close up there. rival, but this definitely beat it in terms of like time, right? Because this has been out way longer. Tell them what it is, Brian. All right, Isaac. Today we're going to talk about Mobile Suit Crossbone Gundam. This is a six-volume manga series. It was written and illustrated by Yuichi Hasegawa, and it is based on sort of notes and information uh, given to him by Gundam's creator, Yoshiki Tomino. One thing I want to talk about here real quick before we get too far into it is that you'll see that a lot of sources say this was actually written by Tomino. Huh. And I don't know if that's actually true or not. There is one main scanlation group that does most Gundam manga, Xeonic. Uh, Everyone probably knows that already. Victory for Xeon. Yeah. <laughs> he actually published a few months back Tomino's original memo that was given to... Uh, Hasegawa to do this this manga series. So you can actually go read that memo and see, okay, this is what Tamino wanted or originally thought of, and this is what ended up on the page. And so if if he's just writing like kind of an outline or like a treatment, I don't know. Would you really consider him the author, Isaac? I don't know if actually Tamino's ever like addressed this in an interview, but I'd be curious if anyone knows out there if he really wrote it or if he just provided these notes and kind of let Hasegawa go and do his thing. I don't know. What's your thoughts on that, Isaac? If it's actually accurate in the way we think it is, then I wouldn't say so much an author, but more the ghostwriter, right? Like he he took the instructions and then he did it. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's like the story by credit. Yeah, you know, the, the same way, like you know, you didn't actually invent the recipe you bake. Like you're just <laughs> you're the baker, but you didn't yeah. conceive of like you know the the pomegranate cake or something like that. <laughs> and, and I haven't actually gone and read the full memo yet because we haven't finished Crossbone Gundam. Uh, but when I do, then I'm going to go back and read it and be like, oh, wow, this is really different or, or it's very much the same. Yeah, it'll be spoiler filled. <laughs> yeah, but if you have finished Crossbone Gundam, you know, that, that is out there for you to go see how different it is. So I thought that was interesting. Crossbone Gundam takes place in UC-0133. That's 10 years after uh, F-91, Isaac. So we're going a little bit out in the future. And it was published from 1994 through 1997. And uh, it is unofficially translated i'm not going to tell you where to get it because i basically already did but it's not very hard to find i'm sure you can find it if you found this podcast and isaac i usually go read synopses for whatever it is we review and i'm getting a little tired of reading off the wiki reading off amazon this one obviously doesn't have an official synopsis right but i thought i would get a little more official and go read the synopsis out of one of my favorite books of all time you may remember this from high school it's an america's gundam the official guide of course, yes. That was such a cool little book because it took you through each series at the time of print. 
Yeah, I think it was published around the year 2000-ish, 2000, maybe 2002, something like that. Uh, uh, there was one paragraph in the back of the book about Mobile Suit Crossbone Gundam, so here we go. Ready? Hit me with it. Crossbone Gundam is the first and so far the only comic from Gundam creator Yoshiyuki Tamino. While the story takes place before Tamino's Victory Gundam TV series, not to mention Guy Gear, it's also his final Universal Century tale, illustrated by Yuichi Hasegawa. Crossbone Gundam is a rollicking saga of interplanetary adventure in the tradition of Captain Harlock. The story, which takes place 10 years after F-91, reintroduces several of the movie's major characters. After the collapse of Cosmo Babylonia, the Crossbone Vanguard have become a group of space pirates preying on the helium transports of the Jupiter Energy Fleet. But all is not as it seems. The Jupiter Fleet is secretly conspiring to bring down the Federation and conquer the Earth. And the so-called pirates are actually waging a desperate but oh-so-romantic war to save the world from this insidious threat. I thought that had a lot of character. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> it raises so many questions, like what's the Crossbone Vanguard doing? Where are they good guys now? There's a Jupiter fleet they're fighting, trying to save up the world from the plot of the Jupiters. What's going on? I don't know. <laughs> we get some of those answers, I think, in, the, in these first few volumes. Right. Uh, how much did you know about Crossbone Gundam before going into this? And, and I guess, listeners, so today we're going to talk about the first two volumes of the six. Yes, um, this will be part one of three, apparently. <laughs> what I knew about it was just what I could gleam off knowing about Crossbone Vanguard after Cosmo Babylonia, after F91, the movie, and then also the bits of information I knew about the um, Jupiter Empire. So not really a lot of information about the plot itself, just two sides within the, well, the two main sides, really, within the, the manga series. That's fairly similar to me. I think I purposely avoided spoilers for this series over the years, knowing that one day I would read it. And I kind of like that because I'm actually pretty excited to read it, for better or worse. Similar to how I am excited to watch Hathaway's Flash unfold. Even though I maybe know the ending, I'm, it's like new Gundam that I don't really know too much about. So it's similar feeling here. Um, so I'm actually kind of excited to read it and find out what everyone else has been talking about all these years. You always hear talk about Crossbone Gundam, right? In different ways. Mm-hmm. So it's good to finally do the anime, the the anime series, the manga series. Although I have to say, when we first started reading it, the anime style, the the drawing style itself, really struck me. It looks very different than a lot of Gundam and uh, Gundam manga I've read. What were your thoughts on that? Uh, I agree. Yeah, I had a note on that as well. Yeah, it's definitely closer to Victory Gundam in terms of style. Yeah, that's a good point. Especially if you go straight from like Hathaway right to this. The, the art and tone is very different, right? I'd say this is a little bit lighter in tone, maybe a more straightforward plot. Absolutely. As far as the animation, the the drawing itself, some characters are like borderline chibi? Mm, <laughs> close. Okay, well, I'd say it's a softer animation style compared to what we're used to in a lot of Gundam. And almost a de-aging for a couple of them, a couple of our returning characters from F91. But overall, I kind of enjoyed these first two volumes. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely softer. I think that's the perfect adjective to describe the art. Things are a little bit rounder. I agree with the de-aging. You know, this is supposed to be 10 years after F91. So now the three <laughs> people that show up again, uh, Zabine, Bera, and Seabook, you know, they were like almost 20 and then like, you know, mid-20s kind of in F91. And so now you expect them to look a little bit older. But if you didn't know that, that these were these characters and they didn't tell you their names... I don't know if I would recognize them, Isaac. No, you wouldn't. Yeah. If it wasn't the same name, there's no way you'd know. 
I mean, I guess Zabine because he's got his eye patch, but. Uh, I mean, but his hair's so different. The uniform's different. You could be forgiven for thinking this is just someone else that lost an eye. <laughs> yeah, but to that end, I did. I did enjoy it as well. Even though it's maybe a simpler story, there's nothing particularly wrong with that, right? No, it's it's there's certainly its own story that takes place around Jupiter. We don't have anything else, Gundam, that takes place around Jupiter, to my knowledge. It's just a very adventure theme. It's very much like, let's go fight the bad guy. Yeah, a, a fleet on a mission. That's what it is. A fleet on a mission around Jupiter. We got the Jupiter bad guys, and they're just going to go at it. All right, Isaac, let's see if we can get through two volumes today. You ready for this? I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, here we go. We're blasting off to Jupiter, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for those thrusters. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Vernier thrusters, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, it's been corrected. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we got a reposition for the orbital mechanics. Right? <laughs> All right. It is Universal Century 0133, 10 years after Gundam F91. We open in a, a brief battle between the Jupiter Empire suits and the Crossbone Vanguard Isaac. The Jupiter Empire pilots, they get real nervous because the Space Pirates Gundam is coming out, and then the Crossbone X-1 emerges, and right away you can tell that they are going to lean hard into the pirate imagery. Did you expect that much pirate imagery? Or, or just pirate themes? Not really. I mean, if you think about it, even the Jupiter Empire are kind of pulling a bit pirate of the look, right? Because they got like mm-hmm. the... Uh... <laughs> their suits look kind of like skulls with goggles <laughs> they do they do look very skeleton like the batalas yeah i'd almost think those would be more appropriate for the crossbone vanguard to use but you know for whatever reason jupiter empire has them crossbone vanguard though sort of keeping with their uh lineage from f91 they had these cool kind of quasi den and zon looking things i thought that was interesting what I also noticed really quickly, though, was that, like, in this series, a lot of these mobile suits, especially the, well, mainly the Crossbow Vanguard, they wear a lot of cloth. <laughs> <laughs> they do, yes. And I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm not sure this is actually, like, anything other than the animator wanted to be more efficient with their time. Right. Hey, he he tried his best to get an explanation <laughs> in there. Whether or not you believe it, no, it it really goes with the pirate theme, I guess. No, if if you're drawing, like at the end of the day, if you put someone under like a blanket or a cloth, like a cape <laughs> or something, a cloak, you just save so much time on on what you're drawing. <laughs> All right, so it's laziness, is what you're saying. Uh, it's efficiency. We'll go with that. But yes, the series opens with a battle between them. This crossbone Gundam is a beast, isn't it, Brian? It is. The crossbones, as we're going to see here, they pretty much tear through most suits that they encounter. I, yeah. I don't say they have too much of, of trouble until we get to a little bit later on. And then, so after that little initial skirmish, we meet our main character. We jump to the Smashion, or the Smashion. It's an Earth to Jupiter transport ship that's carrying exchange students going from Earth to Jupiter and, and presumably vice versa. Our main character is named Tobia Aranax, or Aranax, I don't know. He is 15, Isaac. The Smashian, the ship, they dock with some sort of space station-looking thing. Kind of reminded me of the of the uh, Levian Rose from 0083. When they get to the space station thing, there's a, a Jovian there who I believe is Tobia's professor. Karis? Karis? Karis. I, I call him Karis, yeah. Karis? All right, we'll go with Karis. He's got an unusual name just like Tobia, although I think in this series Tobia takes the cake as far as <laughs> most unusual name we encounter so far in two volumes. <laughs> so far. I don't know. So Tobias Professor Karis, he's congratulating him. We'll notice that Karis wears a glove on his hand, which is going to become important. 
Not sinister at all. <laughs> no, not at all. He's given this speech saying, oh, I like we like to spread the ideas between Earth and Jupiter, and this exchange program is, is the pathway to greater understanding between all of us. Fine. We find out from Toby's friends that the Jovians, like Mr. Karras here, they're very weird about using resources, either using their air, water, and that kind of makes sense. There's really nothing out there. They're really far away over in Jupiter. Yeah, I imagine... Whatever they have is all they have, right? They're so far. Well, this does come up later in I think Volume Two, but the amount of oxygen they have is the amount of oxygen they have. The amount of water they have is the amount of water they have. Everybody specifically assigned X amount of water, and that's it. You're. I think the number of times you can shower or bathe is controlled too. They said. Someone said they even count the number of the times they breathe. Yeah, I. I wonder if he means like individually. You need to count. The- <laughs> The number of times you breathe throughout the day? Or did he mean like there's some type of oxygen tracking system depending on what vehicle and space station you're in or whatever? I thought that would make more sense. Yeah, some sort of sensor probably makes sense. Right, yeah. A computer in each Jupiter facility or ship is tracking like, okay, clearly there's one more person on here than needs to be because we're running lower on oxygen or something. Yeah, it's, it seems like a very hard life. Yeah, but just based on what the professor is saying, it's very clear that this is a completely different sphere than the Earth sphere, and Jupiter, in a way, has its very own culture. Indeed. And while Toby is talking to his friends, it seems like news of the space pirates' little skirmish with the Jupiter Empire has spread to them, and it's already public knowledge now that the, that the space pirates are using two Gundam types. So it seems like the legend of Gundams still lives on in the, in this era, even though it's been you know at least ten years since the Gundam has sort of been seen. And then we start moving real fast here, Isaac. Uh, all of a sudden, a stowaway runs by, being chased by security. It's this little girl again, who looks about you know ten with the art style in this in this series. <laughs> so Tobias starts to worry about the stowaway. People are concerned. There's just there's this problem on the ship. But then before that can be resolved. Uh, the space pirates attack in their mothership, Isaac, called the Mother Vanguard, which is literally a capital ship that looks like a pirate ship. What was your first reaction to seeing the Mother Vanguard? I thought it was both impressive and a bit ridiculous at the same time. <laughs> it was quite the conundrum. It looks cool. It almost looks, well, actually, I'll go out and say it. It doesn't entirely look like it fits in Gundam. And let me explain what I mean. Yes, it's cool that it's got like a beam sail that appears and it's the shape of the the Crossbone Vanguard logo, their symbol. It's cool that it's got the front area that's kind of, you know, shaped like a a carved statue of a woman on on the bow. But all that said, Gundam's been as wacky as sometimes it gets. It's been very grounded science fiction, I've always felt, in terms of its designs and things like that. Sure, some of the capital ships might be like pink or red. But this is really almost wacky. <laughs> like I almost feel like it would be right at home in Outlaw Star or or a comparable series where literally there were space pirates and you can kind of go a bit more nuts in your ship design. But um, I, hey, this is Crossbone Vanguard. We got a, a Gundam that's got like you know two crossbones on its back. So <laughs> what the heck? We'll go for it. You know, let's let's see where this goes. I agree. I think that's probably the reaction they were going for. Like, really cool, but also ridiculous. Yeah. And in the Crossbone <laughs> Vanguard's defense, there's, they're only one ship. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're one ship, yeah. two Gundams, and I think they mentioned six of their little side mobile suits. They're, they're quasi-Denonzons. So that's really all that's going up against the Jupiter Empire, which, I mean, they're not massive, but they're big enough that they, they go toe-to-toe. 
So the Mother Vanguard attacks, the two Crossbone Gundams come out, and the Jupiter Empire launches their mobile suits, which, which Isaac mentioned before, the Batalas. These are these sort of skeleton-looking things. They've got these external pipes that, that look like skeleton ribs, and yeah. the face is very skull-like. So I'm glad that you also thought they looked like skeleton warriors. These look very different than other designs we see from the Jupiter Empire later on. So part of me thinks that in the conception of the series, these were originally going to be crossbone vanguard suits, but someone made the decision that these would end up being for the Jupiter Empire. Interesting. I mean, they look Could too be. much like they'd fit perfectly for a pirate group, right? They're, ske- they're skeletons. Yeah, yeah. They could have also been like, you know, bad guys for the pirates to fight, which is kind of what they are. I suppose, but I don't know. Crossbone, skulls, pirates. It makes more sense. <laughs> so here's where we're talking about the crossbones kind of own everybody. Isaac, the crossbones kind of just, there's two of them. There's a white one and a black one. And they kind of just come out and just shred through all these batalas. They don't really give them too much trouble. You know, Tobia and his friends, they're getting all separated now because their ship's getting attacked. So Tobia jumps into a batala and he flies out to confront the crossbones. And he actually confronts the white one which we will later find out is the X-1. Uh, and it doesn't go well for Tobia. He, she shoots it a few times, but uh, the, uh, the X-1 has its anti-beam cloak, as you, as you mentioned, his efficiency blanket. <laughs> and, uh, and nothing happens, right? Because it's, it's absorbing Tobia's uh, shots. Of course. The X-1 sort of slices up his, his suit, and the X-1 pilot tells him to, hey, jump out. Like, don't die. And Tobia notices then that other pilots are jumping out of their suits, too, when the, when the crossbones are slicing them up. So the crossbone vanguard doesn't seem to be killing people, Isaac. It's a little strange. No, and it also must be some type of evolution in beam weaponry because the cuts that these Bataras take, these would have detonated any other mobile suit, you know, like a diagonal cut that takes off, like, the arm and the head. That would have really detonated, like, a, uh, I don't know, Zaku's or Giridogas, things like that. But, hey... This is a different faction using different technology. It's a different world. Yeah, I was thinking maybe, you know, so much time has gone on that maybe the reactors are smaller these days. So maybe you have less of a chance of hitting it when you do that. Uh, good point. Or they develop fail safes or something. Yeah. So Tobia jumps out. He makes it back. He kind of just, you know, makes his way through space and he makes it back into the Smashian's cargo bay. And in it, Isaac, he finds maybe something that he wasn't supposed to see. Absolutely. He wasn't supposed to see. <laughs> he finds rows upon rows of massive canisters labeled poisonous gas. <laughs> poisonous gas has never turned out well in the universal century. <laughs> no, there's never a good reason to mass produce and send around poisonous gas. <laughs> <laughs> but before he can really do anything about it, he is confronted by his professor, Karis, who points a gun at him. Things clearly were not all that they had seemed. He's no longer a nice professor. They get into a bit of a tussle. Kara says, hey, you know, you shouldn't have seen that, and, and because you did, now you have to die. In classic bad guy fashion, Isaac, uh, you can give your, you know, your critique of his, his bad guy speech here, but he communicates his whole plan by saying that, hey, we've been running this exchange program for 10 years to gain the trust of the Federation, and we've just been slowly stealing this gas. We're going to use it to invade Earth and, and uh, you know, conquer you and, and make you one with the Jupiter Empire. What did you think about his <laughs> spilling of the beans here? In the professor's defense, first he like at least attempted <laughs> to say, oh, they were mislabeled. This is a prank. <laughs> <laughs> but Tobia, I mean, he's an exchange student, right? Him and all the other students were sent over on the, the Smashian to this Jupiter colony, this Jupiter space station for studying. So I'm assuming he's kind of cream with the crop for students, right? He was selected yeah. for this program. So he knows that's, that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and then the professor pretty much is like, all right, well, I'll just take out my pistol and pretty much tell you, yeah, this is for some type of planned attack on Earth. You know, <laughs> you shouldn't have seen this, but I'm going to kill you now. <laughs> <laughs> but before Karis could shoot him or otherwise, you know, uh, incapacitate Tobia, uh, a hole is blown in the Smashian and Tobia falls out along with Karis and all the poison gas canisters. Probably not great to have all that poison floating out around space, but so it goes. Tobia, it turns out, was saved by the crossbone pilot of the X-1, who reveals himself to be called Kincaid Now, or No, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Yeah. He tells Tobia, hey, right away, he gets another decision. He says, Tobia, you can forget all this happened and go back to Earth, or you can face reality, the hard truth of life, and stick with the crossbone vanguard. And then uh, we get this cool shot of both of them standing on the X-1, which I thought was neat. To your earlier point, Isaac, we now meet Kincaid. Kincaid is going to turn out to be Seabook here in a second. Would you have known it was Seabook just by looking at Kincaid? Nope. <laughs> yep. Me neither. All right. I mean, I'll buy that the hair's similar, but the version I'm reading is black and white. So even if they did a colored version and I saw that his hair was kind of that blue that Seabook had, I still would have been not entirely convinced it was Seabook just based on the animation. Because again, he has a softer face. Like this looks like Seabook's little brother. Yeah. <laughs> Ironically, he's going to be like an older brother in the series to Tobia, but he looks like Seabook's younger brother or cousin or something like that. Indeed. The only other potential clue I could see is that we did see the X2 come out briefly, and turns out that Zabini is going to be in the X2. But in that initial fight, I think, you know, he was using the Shot Lancer, and he's the only one that's using the Shot Lancer at this point. So I guess you could read into that and be like, oh, that's Zabini and that's Seabook, but I still wouldn't have known until I heard them say their names. But that's what we get right away. Kincaid apparently brings Toby to the bridge of the Mother Vanguard, where we find out the captain is none other than... It is Bararona, which, you might remember, was Cecily Fairchild from F91. She was Carozo's daughter, the granddaughter of Mitzerona, leader and founder of the Crossbone Vanguard. She is now heading up this new version of the Crossbone Vanguard, fighting against the Jupiter Empire. And that's when all the pieces start to fall into place, Isaac. That's when you as the reader are like, because she introduces herself right away as Bear Rona, right? right? Kincaid did not introduce himself as Seabook, but she just went with her real name. So if you're the reader now, you're like, oh, boom, I bet Kincaid is Seabook. And we do see a, a guy in the background with, a, with an eye patch. So you're like, oh, boom, Zabine is right there. He, he must have been that guy in the black crossbone. So things are starting to make sense. And Isaac, Bear has a parrot. Did you notice that? Yes, I did. And <laughs> wow. <laughs> Whoever invented this series, whichever person was actually responsible or had creative control, they really like pirates. <laughs> yeah, if, if there was any doubt they were going to lean into the pirate imagery, that all fell away when we met Barra's parrot, whose name it turned out to be Haro. So. Oh, boy. I mean, <laughs> sure, why not? Is it a robotic <laughs> parrot that like looks like a real parrot? <laughs> I assume so. I'd have to go back and read to check. It's like, it's like one of those fake animals from Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah. They're perfectly realistic the on the outside, but it's really just a robot. <laughs> yep. So Bera quickly gives Toby the same choice. And like any good protagonist, Isaac, in any good story, he chooses to learn the truth and to stay with the Crossbone Vanguard. What if he was like, nah, I'm done, and then the story just ended? We would just assume or hope that he would inform the Federation the moment he got back <laughs> <laughs> and they would scramble their own fleet, I guess. Or knowing knowing the Federation, like enough people have been paid off that this plot's going to go ahead no matter what happens, unless like the the ragtag fa- uh, crossbone vanguard manages to stop it. <laughs> Toby agrees to stay. The Smashian departs, taking the kids back to Earth. 
probably with a big apology of like, sorry, you got attacked by space pirates. Uh-huh. Kincaid puts Tobia to work right away, peeling potatoes. He's <laughs> <laughs> kind of like he's, you know, working in the mess hall or something. Uh, Kincaid has this really cool black pilot jacket with the Crossbone Vanguard logo on it, which is super cool. I think they should sell that on P. Bandai. That's a mer- missed merchandising opportunity. I would love one of those. I think, yeah, we need to really work on the merchandise game at Gundam, right? Because, like, there's so many, like, clothing you can integrate Gundam into, you know? Wouldn't it be cool to have, like, a Crossbone Vanguard jacket or, I don't know, other stuff? You know what? Uh, Not Jupiter Empire, though, because let me just say, (laughs) they might have the worst symbol ever. It is the letters J and E, (laughs) (laughs) which is terrible. I mean, I thought Matthews wasn't great, but wow, this—they really phoned it in. Anyways, sorry to sorry to go off on a tangent, but Matthews man, looks like a million bucks compared to the J and the E. Gundam is kind of famous for having like pretty cool symbols, right, for the villains or the 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 heroic faction, whatever. Mm-hmm. But whoa, Jupiter Empire, not on my list. <laughs> <laughs> So after Tobia hears all this stuff, like Barra's here, she's the captain, things start to fall into place for him. And like, because like you said, he must be a pretty top tier student, right? Because he starts remembering all of his history all of a sudden. He's like, oh, that's right. You you know, you're Barra Rona. You declared independence in side four 10 years ago, but you didn't agree with your grandfather and it didn't work out. And if you're her, then Kincaid, you must be the Gundam pilot from 10 years ago too. So this kid's pretty sharp, Isaac. He picked up things quick. He's very familiar with his history over the last 10 years. I'm surprised F91 is such a, a well-known story within even the Earth sphere. And then we get a little bit of background here, Isaac, that fills in the gap, that 10-year gap a little bit. Barra says, hey, basically after I beat my grandfather in the Cosmo-Babylonia War, we made this ship called the Babylonia Vanguard. But it disappeared in its first flight, and so people thought it was gone, but turns out we took it, and we're, we're using it for this, this mission. Was that enough for you, Isaac? I know you're big on, like, backstory, origin, like, why are things the way they are? Was that good enough for you, or do you uh, are you still hoping we get more? I guess it explains enough why only kind of the good characters from F91 are still here as a group, but it really doesn't explain, like, where's Dorel Rona? If you remember, he was the mm-hmm. adopted brother in the Rona family. Right. I think we can assume that he probably fought in support of the aristocracy and died or maybe he's still out there and he's going to come back in some content that would be cool um Meister looks like he's gone and of course cosmo babylonia itself was implied to have fallen and you know got reabsorbed by the federation so to an extent it's good enough but i'd be interested to learn a lot more yeah i'm hoping we get a little maybe some more background as time goes yeah. on but we'll dorel's see. revenge <laughs> that's a whole side story right there i'd love it you know he's gonna come back he he improved the bugs holy shit That'd be great. Yeah, it's kind of weird that the the bugs just kind of fade out, right? We don't hear about them again. Yeah. Maybe they're too powerful. Right. I mean, they were really good. (laughs) Bring them back. Bug side story with Darrell. Yeah. Kincaid then explains why they're still calling themselves the Crossbone Vanguard. And it's basically a a very practical reason, Isaac. It's just easier to hire people and get supplies. It's it's like a brand name. They're, They're using it as a brand name. I mean, if a kid Toby's age heard about it, other people have too, so it's very recognizable, right? <laughs> yep. Uh, and then it turns out that the stowaway also made it aboard the Mother Vanguard. Her name turns out to be Bernadette Briette, and she is very upset. She does not want to get caught by the Jovians. She's about the same age as Tobia. Clearly, this is going to be our love interest couple for the series. Tobia jumps to her defense saying, hey, I remember her. She was a stowaway on the, on the Smashian. She's not a Jovian. Please protect her. Blah, blah, blah. 
Barra says, okay, but you know what? It's She's your problem, Tobia. So now not only does he have to work and peel potatoes, but he also has to take care of Bernadette. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> it was inevitable in the story that be to an extent, a damsel in distress, right? <laughs> yeah, yep. And here she is, because definitely not Barra. <laughs> nope. And then, in keeping with pretty much how this manga is going to go from here on out, Isaac, there's never a break in the action. Did you get that sense as well? I feel like once you finish one thing, Barra just says something like, attack, and then we move on to like the next, the, the next mission. Yeah, pretty much. It was like they're given repeated missions, or the missions they're on just go into battles. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good in a way, because, I mean... I've always felt when manga slows down into dialogue or inter-character conflict, at least in Gundam, it doesn't always stick the landing compared to anime series like uh, Hathaway's Flash, which were actually really good and had some good uh, development. Yeah, it definitely keeps the action moving, keeps your interest high. So right away, similar to what happened on the Smashian, this stowaway thing is sort of not completely resolved. And we find out that the Crossman Vanguard was on its way to a Jupiter Empire base that they wanted to attack. And so Barra just goes, all right, we're here. Everybody go and attack. So they send out the crossbones. They send out the uh, pseudo-denizons, which I think are called the Zondo Gays or the Zondo Guys. Something like that. Probably Zondo Guy. Knowing Gunnam is probably, there's like an inflection for no reason. It'd be like Zondo Guys. Guys. (laughs) Well, how about we call them the Zondos? Yeah, we'll stick to Zondos. All right. They send out the Zondos. Here, we get the first uh, little inkling of conflict between Barra and Zabine. Maybe not conflict, but disagreement. Uh, Barra reminds Zabine not to kill anyone, which is interesting. <laughs> so the Mother Vanguard unleashes just all this beam weaponry on this uh, base, Isaac. Yeah, asteroid base. Is the Mother Vanguard the best ship we've seen to date? I would say no, because it doesn't have like that particle cannon the General Rebel had. <laughs> Oh, okay. So, okay. So it needs like one big cannon. I'll say it's damn good. I mean, it's good enough that it can rain down hundreds of beams, it seemed, on like a single location. Yeah. And it also has energy shielding, which was really cool. Say what you will about the Crossbone Vanguard, but they they realized they had one ship, so they kind of put everything into one ship. (laughs) I think it's it's definitely up there. I think it's top five for sure. Yeah. So they're raining down these beams, and Barra gives us a little more background. She says, during the Crossbone Vanguard uprising 10 years ago, we learned about the Jupiter Empire. And this Jupiter Empire, they've been supporting, you know, people on Earth behind the scenes who wanted to start wars all these years. We, we know now that they're, they want to conquer Earth in like one, one strike, one fatal swoop, and they're yeah. hiding until they're ready. And that our mission, our sworn duty of the Crossbone Vanguard is to defeat the Jupiter Empire and their leader, Crux Dogati. Or how would, how would you say his name, Isaac? It's Crux Dogati. Dogati. Let's do it. The Jupiter Empire here, they fire a nuke at the Crossbone Vanguard. Kincaid blows it up with his you know, rifle, uh, but that was a little strange. In, in the base's defense, or the base commander's defense, like, they were being hammered by beams left and right. I think I would be surprised if anyone was left alive. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. All right. Probably justified. They're yeah. going to die, so just go out. Yeah, they don't have shields either. <laughs> <laughs> Every building on that asteroid was being, like, bombarded by a beam. Like, they had to fire a nuke or everything they had, really. You're right. Okay, I take it back. So, you know, it doesn't really work out for this asteroid base. And then we've just learned about the Jupiter Empire's leader, Crux Dogati. And we jump to this spiral-shaped Jupiter space colony thing. And we are in his creepy-looking chamber, Isaac. He seems to be submerged in water with fish, like in his own aquarium. Oh, it was fish. 
I thought it was some type of preservation chemical or something. But if you're saying there was fish in there, then yeah, this guy like a mutant or I don't know. Is this an optical illusion? Like he's he wants his followers to think he's some type of sea god or something. <laughs> oh, interesting. I first thought it was preservation liquid as well, but then I saw the fish and I was like, it must really be water or something that a fish can live in i don't know he's able to talk clearly they can understand him (laughs) yeah yeah maybe i'm misreading that those panels but sure sure seems like he's in his little aquarium i wonder if this is like a failure of the the drawing or the story itself to convey to us that like oh he's actually on the other side of an aquarium (laughs) but like that'd be really strange right they're still communicating but he likes to be behind an aquarium when talking to his (laughs) subordinates That's his preference, or maybe that's his Zoom background. Yeah, like, I don't know. He read a self-help book, and he was like, you know, (laughs) this is really soothing if you're in a leadership role. (laughs) (laughs) So Mr. Crux here, he's very upset. The base was destroyed. As a result, they've lost 30% of their missile capacity. He tells this general to start using some other mobile suits, which we will see here in a second, the Pez Batala and the Ella Golea or something like that. Uh, But back on the Mother Vanguard, Toby is trying to train in mobile suits. You know, Kincaid's putting him through the ringer. Not really working out. Toby is, he's going too fast all the time, uh, which is kind of funny. Bernadette starts bringing food to everybody, which is the typical job of any Gundam female that stays on the ship. Uh, (laughs) Did you you (laughs) notice that? Yeah, I mean, uh, Iron Blood Orphans, right? They like exiled that one girl to be like in the kitchen. Yes, I get the same vibe from Bernadette as, that I got from the girl from Iron Blooded Orphans. What was her name? It was not Cudelia. It was the other one. Correct. And I guess I should say that the girl from Iron Blooded Orphans gives me very Bernadette vibes since this obviously came out a long time before. But the little adorable damsel in distress. And yeah, to, to Nina Purpleton's credit, she had a legitimate job. Like she never yes. got behind the the counter at the cafeteria. <laughs> <laughs> right. But this girl, this is like the fourth scene she's been in, and she's already behind the counter making food. Oh, if you're a stowaway, we got to put you to work. <laughs> Peel those potatoes. <laughs> uh, here we get a, an explanation. Kincaid explains why the crossbones wear these capes, these cloaks. And it turns out that they absorb beam weaponry. They can absorb about five shots. And versus a beam shield, it's both easier to hide and it doesn't take up energy, uh, which is good, I guess, when you're out that far near Jupiter. Energy is probably scarce. How, how are you with that explanation, Isaac? Because we're going to see a lot of these beam cloaks or the, these cloaks. <laughs> I didn't buy it, but you know what? Whatever. I'll go along with it for the purpose of the story because we never see these cloaks anywhere else. <laughs> I'm going to go with these cloaks because the, the ship, the Mother Vanguard looking like a pirate ship is more egregious than the cloak, in my opinion. Yeah, you got me there. I guess whatever saved the animator time and not having to draw Zondo legs because he <laughs> those legs are always covered up by a skirt. <laughs> Yes. Similar to the last chapter, we don't get much time to breathe because Barra gets an SOS from a carrier in distress and she decides to go rescue them. She launches a few Zondos and the X-1. We do get a a bit of a conversation here between Kincaid and Zabine explaining that Kincaid still does not trust Zabine, which I think is a little weird uh, given that 10 years have passed. If this was like six months after F-91, I would totally get it. But if they've been on the same team now for a very long time, I feel like they should have worked out their differences after 10 years. I don't know. I mean, I think it was maybe earlier when Zabine kind of pointed out to uh, Tobia that he doesn't disagree or he disagrees with Barrow's approach not to kill people. Yeah. <laughs> because if you let enemy pilots live, they're inevitably going to be put back into cockpits and sent out to fight you again. 
So you're just risking yourself later on and your crew later on. Although with the Jupiter Empire, we, we soon learned that that isn't entirely accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. You probably won't fight the same people twice <laughs> because of the uh, the Jupiter Empire's policy with uh, you know surrender and surviving battle. <laughs> so. so Kincaid and Zabine basically agree that they they will always be rivals, even if they're allies. And we we do find out that Zabine still believes in this aristocracy concept. He it doesn't seem like he agreed with the harsh methods of Meitzer, but he still believes in aristocracy. So clearly a conflict is, is, is brimming there. I, I mean, that raises so many questions. Like, why was he on Barra's side during the Cosmo-Babylonia Civil War? Like, did he only agree with aristocracy if he was made an aristocrat? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was willing to overthrow, like, Meitzer and, and Dorel and whoever was left on the aristocracy side. If, if he could rise up, you know, he's just biding his time pretty much, I would assume, right? Zabine, even in F91, seemed like a very smart individual, so I'm sure he would always pick the winner, so to speak. Maybe if he saw mites are going down, maybe he was like, oh, Bear's doing pretty well. I think I'll just go over to Bear's side now. Yeah. But his his stated reason, I, I believe, is that Meitzer's methods were too extreme. Well, it did look like he spent a lot of time with Barra, right? Because he was her trainer, and he wasn't really around Dorel and Carozo because otherwise he would have been looped into the bug weapon system. But he had to find out about that like everybody else at the last minute. <laughs> yeah, he definitely did not like the bugs. That's a good point. So I guess that is evidence that he did not like their methods. Aristocracy, but not genocide. Those are his limits. That should be the, the motto for Zabine. Yeah, aristocracy, not genocide. <laughs> Even Zabine has limits. So... Kincaid lets Tobia go out for this rescue, which turns out to be a terrible idea because Tobia can't pilot the X-1 to save his life. And it turns out it was a trap. Surprise, Isaac. Did you see it being a trap? No. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Who could have thought that it was going to be a trap? These new uh, mobile suits come out, These the Pez Batalas, which were mentioned by Mr. Dogati. They are like these. How would you describe these things, Isaac? They look like giant knight helmets with beam axes. On their face. I would even say they're almost fish-shaped. Imagine yes. like a fish-shaped yeah. mobile suit and along the, the crest of its head, you know, the top fin down to the fish's mouth and then down to that fin that's underneath the bottom of the fish. There's a beam there in a crescent shape and these are anti-ship mobile suits and they work very much like an axe like Brian said. It's a flying beam axe that's able to <laughs> hold like weapons in its hand. <laughs> yeah. If you've ever seen Transformers the movie, there's these things called the Sharktacons. They look like Sharktacons <laughs> with beam axes in the middle of their face. <laughs> and they just dive at you to get you with their beam axe. Is that fair? I, I think that's fair. That's exactly how it is. It's a kamikaze type attack. Except yeah. that there's no detonation. Like the beam just goes <laughs> through like, you know, the ship or the, the, the turrets on the ship where it's trying to attack. Uh, they also send out a mobile armor, Isaac, uh, which I believe is called the Gangriho or the Kang Kangriho or something. It looks like yeah. a crab that's winking at you. It is a massive crab. This mobile armor was like big enough that it had its own turrets. <laughs> yes, it was, it was pretty intense. It, due to all this stuff coming at him, Barra activates the beam shield, which is a big beam shield across the entire Mother Vanguard, which is nuts. And uh, she's like, hey, Kincaid, you better, you better go out there. And Zabine, you, you guys got to go salvage this situation because, you know, Toby is out there screwing up in the X-1. And the, uh, the poor Zondos, you know, they're not doing well. Toby is actually engaging the the mobile armor, and Kincaid tells him, "Hey, Toby, you got to get close these days. Everybody has a beam shield. The way to win today is to get close and you know cut people. Basically, it's not really working for Toby, but Kincaid gets close enough that they swap out 
uh, Kincaid had launched in a core fighter, and so Tobia gets out of the X-1 with his core fighter out the back, and Kincaid enters. If you've not seen the crossbone gun before, it has these, like Isaac mentioned, these these crossbone-like verniers on the back. Those are actually part of the core fighter. They, like, fold up, and they come out the back, and that's the core fighter. So it's not like the old core fighter yeah. on, like, the RX-78, where the top and the bottom come out. This is This makes way more sense, Isaac. Yeah, I mean, the rest of the Gundam is just stays there. <laughs> right, that, that's way more efficient. I guess this makes sense, right? You'd want your Gundam to kind of stay in one spot while you kind of shuttle around on a little sneaky mission. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sneaky sneaks. So once Kincaid gets into the X-1, he takes out the mobile armor by using basically all the weapons at his disposal. The crossbone is just loaded up with weapons, Isaac. I did like that about the crossbones. I thought that was really neat. They've got like foot beam spikes. He uses two beam sabers. He's got a knife. And then he slices him up with uh, the, the bigger beam saver, which I believe they call the beam Zanber. <laughs> I don't know why it's called a Zanber. It's like a big cutlass. We'll go with it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, very pirate themed. The plot is foiled. Barris says, you know, we got away today, but all this destroying one base at a time isn't going to work. So we, we need to go infiltrate the Jupiter Empire to find out where Crux Dugati is so we can go kill him. And I appreciate that, Isaac. This is like a very straightforward plan. I think that's a bit refreshing. Yeah, it's surgical. It's mafty level surgical. <laughs> <laughs> they create a bit of a ruse here, Isaac, where they set up this fake chase. They make it look like Tobia uh, got away from them and they stole a Zondo. And he's being chased by Zabine in the X2. They fly next to a, a Jovian oxygen gathering base saying that he, you know, Tobia contacts them saying, help, help, I'm getting chased by the space pirates and I have an injured Jovian with me too. And Zabine, to make it look you know, real authentic, cuts off his arm and shoots him. And then the Jupiter Empire <laughs> sends out all their Bataras, including probably the, like, the one named enemy that we really get besides Karis is Lieutenant Burns. I kind of liked Lieutenant Burns. Did you like Lieutenant Burns? He definitely has a lot of layers to him compared to a lot of people we meet in the Jupiter Empire. I'd say he's passionate about his people and his, his culture, his country, if you want to go that far. But at the same time, it seems like in a lot of times he begrudgingly goes along with his orders when it's clear that he might disagree with them. I totally agree with the layer's comment. He's also probably the best uh, Jupiter Empire pilot that we've seen in these first two volumes. He lives. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Great point. <laughs> Not only does he live, but he goes like fairly toe-to-toe with Zabine in his Batara versus Zabine's X2. And so they, they tussle. Crossbow Vanguard obviously retreats, given the plan was to, you know, let the Jupiter Empire rescue Tobia and, and the, the fake Jovian on board, which is obviously Kincaid, because we want them to get into the base, find out where Crux is, so that Barra can go kill him. Tobia has a, a little bit of a discussion with Burns, where Burns tells Tobia that he had a son once who would be about Tobia's age if he was still alive. And that son died in a uh, work accident. Turns out he died at an oxygen gathering plant three years ago when he was 12. Tobia is shocked that this kid was working at such a young age. And, you know, Burns replies, well, we don't have much on Jupiter. So I thought this was a good way for Tobia to lose a little bit of that innocence. What, what did you think about this, Isaac? Yeah, and I also like that it really fleshed out more about the Jupiter Empire. You know, of course, one of the jobs is working in an oxygen plant. They need oxygen. There's, They can't just run down to Earth and scoop it up. <laughs> and also, it adds more layers to Burns, right? Maybe he's kind of got a grudge, really envious of these people from Earth sphere. They got things so easy. He already lost his son, and he's passionate about fighting. And he's he even views his son's death as honorable because his son, you know, died 
for the glory of their empire, to further the life of their empire. Yeah, so he's got enough reasons to be bitter to where you, you can understand his, his reasoning. Yeah. Even if you disagree with it. So once on board, <clears throat> so we see the flashback you were talking about, Isaac, where Bera you know, lets all the pilots go that they captured with the logic that a, a Jupiter Empire patrol usually comes by on a regular basis and should should pick them up. But they literally, they don't send them out, Isaac, in a ship. They just send them out <laughs> in spacesuits. So they're being, like, nice but brutal at the same time. I mean, from I think there was another officer on her, next to her, right? And he told her, you know, a patrol will come by. And timing-wise, though, like, at least, I think he said 9 out of 10 of them will live for sure. So did they, did they refill their oxygen tanks and then put them out? Why would that one not live? I was thinking maybe that one would have, like, flown off course a, a little too far and, like, wouldn't get caught in the patrol. I don't know, but, yeah, it was it was quite weird. But, I mean, they're not on terms with the Jupiter Empire enough that they could say, okay, meet here for a, a ceasefire and prisoner exchange. You know, <laughs> this is, yeah, this is more, well, well, we'll release them. They're kind of on their own. Technically, we didn't kill them. But, you know, if they get picked up by the patrol, they get picked up by the patrol. Yeah. <laughs> This is also where we hear that conversation we were talking about where Zabine disagrees with Bera. The one thing I want to point out about this conversation is that Zabine overhears T- Tobias' thoughts. I don't think we had clear conclusion in the F91 movie if Zabine was a new type, but I guess if he's overhearing Tobias' thoughts, then clearly he is a new type. Yeah, I guess. And oh, there's a conversation later on with a Vanguard officer who mentions how to activate your new type abilities. Interesting. Yeah, Zabine, apparently a new type. Shocking because he's such a good pilot, right? Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> the old guy on the Mother Vanguard says he's also a new type and that he took out six doms in a single ball in the one-year war. <laughs> Did you appreciate that dom shout-out? I was like, okay, okay. Also interesting that he was with the Federation and now he's with Crossbone Vanguard. But who knew what happened in the years between then? But yeah, he says that you need to go through a um, a traumatic experience to activate your... New type abilities, something like that, right? I guess it's like going Super Saiyan, you know? You, you get angry. You have to be brought to the, the point of death or go through a crisis before your new type abilities surface. Before the flashback ends, we do see that Bernadette gave Tobia her necklace as a good luck charm to return uh, after the mission, which that necklace will become important later on. So we flash back to the base now with this new knowledge that Barra let all these pilots go, and Tobia's his innocence is going to get him in trouble. Tobia and Kincaid, they're walking through the Jupiter Empire base. At this point, Kincaid has lost his disguise. He uh, he was disguised. He had some fake burns and a, and a hand stamp. They beat up their escort soldier, and they, they switch clothes. So Kincaid now looks like a Jupiter Empire person. And this or this wife is, like, asking for water for her sick husband. Tobia sees the little girl eyeing their water, and so he, he volunteers to give the water that was for the injured Jovian, who is now the, the guy that they knocked out. He volunteers to give his water to the little girl to give to her dad. And this just pisses off the Jovians and just shocks them all, Isaac. Everybody in the hallway gets stunned and looks directly at them like, I don't know, like they have lobsters crawling out of their ears. Like (laughs) like they just, I don't know, they just, um, it's incredulous. Yes. It's the, imagine the most shocking thing that would happen in public. Something both embarrassing and shocking. That's what, that's what the the Jovians felt happened in that hallway. Everyone stops what they're doing and looks at Kincaid and Tobia. I got to say, this may have been one of the most effective scenes in the manga in just in terms of teaching you how different it is at Jupiter. Yeah. I thought this was pretty good. 
Kincaid's been around the Jupiter Empire a lot longer than Tobia, so he knows that Tobia royally effed this one up. So he immediately goes into, like, damage control mode and starts beating up Tobia. Like, how dare you do this? How dare you give away the water that our great leader, Crux uh, Dogady, gave you? Why would you dare do that? And then he starts apologizing to everybody and, you know, says, well, I'll take responsibility for this idiot. And they kind (laughs) of go upon their way. So Kincaid really saved the situation it was at this point, Isaac, that Crux really gives me very North Korea vibes. Like, this is very dear leader. Yeah, they, his official title is president, even though they're in an empire. And based on the wording, yeah, everybody has to be grateful for whatever they receive, because that's directly from the president. And it's part of Jupiter culture is whatever was given to you is just for you. You don't dare give that to anybody else, and nobody should give anything from them to you. So great quick thinking by Kincaid to beat up Tobia. And at the same time, they were really drawing so much attention to themselves that the little girl was able to get away with the water container. Yeah, I think Kincaid even winked to her. Like, yeah, like to say, like, I know I'm being a jerk, but just go ahead and take the water, would you? <laughs> Don't question us. Just get get the water to your dad. <laughs> just shut up and go, girl. Yeah, once he drinks it, like, no one's going to be able to really do anything, apparently. Yeah. And then uh, as they're going through the hall, they pass a masked guy who looks like he's been injured. He's going he's gonna to come up here in a second. Kincaid and Tobia, again, their mission is to you know, find where Crux is. So they, they step out into this residential area, I think, of this base. And it looks like they've already been spotted. There, there were these mobile suit things. They're not really full mobile suits. I don't know what they are. Mobile. They're the Jupiter pods, like what a Jupiter ball would be. <laughs> the Jupiter Ogos. <laughs> They find Kincaid and Tobia. So now Kincaid and Tobia are they're a little nervous. These these mobile suit things start firing indiscriminately, trying to find Kincaid and Tobia, and they're they're killing Jovians too here, Isaac. They're they're not like just aiming for our heroes. They're they're killing some bystanders for the glory of President Crux Dogady. We do see on a newscast uh, that's being broadcast that they've recovered the pilots that we saw that Barra release earlier. Except Isaac, what's going to happen to these pilots? These pilots have failed in their duties. They allowed themselves to be captured, and they allowed their mobile suits to be captured as well. And as a result, with their recklessness and their disregard for the orders of President Crux Dogady and their disregard for the scarce resources of the Jupiter Empire, they are to be executed, Brian. Man, these Jupiter people, they are effed. These people are harsh. I mean... It's a hard-knock life around Jupiter. <laughs> that should be the theme song for Crossbow. hard-knock life, Jupiter. <laughs> <laughs> and then we see the mask guy again, Isaac. He, he's in a hallway with the base commander, and he's like, hey, you know, these, these intruders, it's, it's clear what their aim is. Like, they're, he knows that they want to find Dogady. And he's like, you should probably shut down the computers so they just can't find him. And I was like, that seems very logical. Like, we should listen to this guy. Yeah. And the commander's like, nah, let's not do that. I can't do that. I can't turn all this stuff off. The mask guy's like, all right, well, I'm going to go over here now. We flashed to Kincaid trying to log into a computer. This whole thing, Isaac, of like, let's break into the base and let's find the location. This was very, this was very Star Wars to me. Get on the Death Star, find this information, get, hook up to the data terminal. There's data terminals everywhere that you yeah. can just log into. Floppy disks. <laughs> yeah. Is, is this a dated idea now? Like, if they were to adapt this, would you have to change this? I don't think so. I think it could still work. You could just say, I don't know, it's a com- it's a closed computer system. So there's no way to access it from the outside. We need someone in the base to actually get the information. Yeah, it's very 90s video game of like hack into the mainframe. It's it's Gundam impossible. 
(laughs) (laughs) They need to repel from the ceiling to get to the computer, you know. So Toby is very upset about the pilots. Kincaid is, he's saying, well, the the only good thing about them dying is that their civilians probably don't like when these people get executed, so maybe they'll one day rise up against their government. And Toby is, you know, incensed. He's like, does that mean that you knew this would happen if you released them? And Kincaid says something interesting that him and seems like most of the, I assume Zabine, know that the Jupiter Empire probably execute these people when they pick them back up. But they've never actually told Bear that. <laughs> she fully thinks that they're going back and like living happy lives afterwards. But <laughs> They're given a hero's welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this is a good way for Tobia to, again, lose some of that innocence. Now he knows that the answer isn't always black and white. Like I feel like he's really struggling with this situation of like, how could these people kill their own people after you gave them back like who does that so yeah. he, he's he's waking up to the real world a little bit Kincaid starts going off about how Bera could have run from the Jupiter Empire but she chose to fight because only she could gather the necessary strength to fight them and I think that's my biggest question so far in this series Isaac is why why does the Crossman Vanguard have to be the one to take out the Jupiter Empire why is it their sworn duty they got the crossbones from SNRI as we'll find out a little bit later so why couldn't the Federation just come and fight the Jupiter Empire? Why can't they just tell the Federation that the, that the Jupiter Empire is out here and that they should come fight him? It doesn't particularly make sense yet to me. Maybe we'll find out as the story goes. Did you have this question as well, or am I crazy? Why is it her fight and her fight alone, I guess? Number one, it's complex. <laughs> I'm going to say that as we saw in F91, she's very much, okay, I need to take responsibility. You know, it's up to me. That was kind of her transformation. So... Since she found out about this Jupiter Empire plot, it's up to her to put a stop to it. Maybe this new version of the Crossbone Vanguard went to the Earth Federation and they were told to kick rocks. Or maybe the Earth Federation, again, is so corrupt or reliant on helium from the Jupiter Empire or the Jupiter supply fleet that they're kind of willing to look the other way or they just kind of dismiss any plot that these resource-starved people might have against them because the Earth Federation's been through a lot. We can handle whatever these, you know, handful of of helium merchants can throw at us. Yeah. Typical Federation. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I'm willing to go along with it. Brian, in every Gundam series, manga, or movie, we've yet to see of a situation where the Federation was instantly on top of things before the plot was underway. (laughs) You're you're absolutely right. I I think maybe my, I guess my my expectations are too high. Yeah. You you asked for too much from your federal leader. (laughs) (laughs) After this conversation, Kincaid's hacking is successful. He gets the the location of Crux. Uh, They head to the mobile suit hangar to make their escape. But Tobia and Kincaid are caught by the masked man, who turns out to be Karis. He's alive, Isaac. He made it through that space explosion on the Smashian. Kincaid actually throws a knife at his face, which cuts his mask off, which was good throw by Kincaid and quite the mask to survive the knife being thrown at him. Yeah. Turns out that Kincaid recognizes him. I guess they've fought each other a few times in the past. So that's interesting. It's a good mm. backstory there. Karis is a, is a beast, Isaac. He's kicking their ass. He, he's pretty much going to kill both of them until he is distracted by Toby's necklace. And Kincaid seizes upon this opportunity to kick him off this ledge that they're on. And Karis leaves a grenade behind before falling in classic uh, Spike fashion from Ball- <laughs> Ballad of Fallen Angels, Episode 5 of Cowboy Bebop. I wonder if this inspired that scene a little bit. I don't know. It might have just... Well, maybe it did. <laughs> we'll never know. The mother and daughter from earlier, which Tobia gave the water to, they turn, they come out and they, they help him escape by showing him a secret passage to escape. 
And then we uh, we flash over to the Mother Vanguard where Bear is worried because they haven't come back yet. She calls herself a weak woman, Isaac, which I felt was unnecessary and a little funny. Is she right, though? <laughs> <laughs> um, she definitely I mean... hasn't seemed strong yet in this. As we see later on with the situation with one of her bridge officers, she might be, have a little bit of a weakness here and there. Yeah. They do detect an explosion at the Jupiter Empire base, their hangar, so they launch some suits to save Tobia and Kincaid, who have escaped in some Batalas. But Burns appears blocking their path, Isaac. And Kincaid engages Burns, but Tobia gets in the middle and they have a discussion. You know, Burns, I like you, but why are you supporting a dictator like Dugati? Burns kind of sets Tobia down and kind of explains the way the world works here. You know, there's nothing here. There's no water, no air. You people from Earth, you wouldn't understand. My son died, you know, and even though he died, the, the, the plant that he was working at, it couldn't stop functioning because everyone's life depends on that plant. And you don't have to question where your next breath comes from. And this is just how it is in deep space. And if you want something, you have to take it by force. So we're coming for Earth. We long to have what you have on Earth. So we're, we're going to invade you no matter what. How do you rate his reasoning here? He gave perfect voice to the Jupiter Empire, I felt. Like, I, I, I would almost want him to be, like, the main villain. Maybe he's a charming... or He's clearly going to be the main physical villain that they fight toe-to-toe rather than kind of a background leader like Crux. I don't know. I thought it was great. I thought it was a great explanation, and I'm really with... I'm on the Burns train. <laughs> yeah, I like Burns. He's, he's a good guy. I, I like him a lot better than Crux Dogati, for sure. Yeah, who we, like... He's almost an alien at this point. We know so little about him. He looks so bizarre. He's very abstract, but Burns is such a human villain. You know, they duke it out. The Crossman Vanguard suits come, and, you know, Burns gets a little damaged, but they, the Crossman Vanguard, they are able to successfully extract Tobia and uh, Kincaid. They make it back to the ship. Uh, Tobia sees that Barra is relieved to see Kincaid, and he now understands that they are a couple. The Mother Vanguard is resupplied by Little Grey, which is Mother Vanguard Unit 2, which looks nothing like Mother Vanguard Unit 1. Did you notice that, Isaac? I was ex- I was hoping for, like, a smaller pirate ship. It almost looked federal, didn't it? <laughs> it did, yeah. It looked like a more normal ship, right? Yeah, I was like, all right, they, they clearly had a different design team for this ship. <laughs> but you know what? I'm happy to have a little supporting ship along the way. I'll take it. Yeah, it's like the little mini one. Yeah. But, Isaac, it turns out there are actually no supplies on that ship for the mobile suits because we find out that the Zondos are 10 years old and it's hard to find supplies for these things. Yeah, I mean, hey, they were probably a design they had back in the books on Cosmo Babylonia and they just kind of took it with them as things fell apart. It's just like having an old car, you know? After a while, it's hard to get parts for your car. Yeah, or ironically, they should be very plentiful and cheap, but clearly you got like a custom car that they only had a limited production of. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, you're out by Jupiter. I imagine there's not very many pet boys out there. Yeah, they're not going to do shipping overnight. <laughs> <laughs> so after they get resupplied, Barra says, hey, we got the location. Let's go kill Togedi. So they, they start to go prep for that mission. Barra gets real stressed, and she makes a bunch of bread out of stress, which was, again, weird. Woman's always in the kitchen, I guess. Toby gives Bernadette her, her necklace back, and she says, oh, you know, my dream is to visit Earth, which is where my mother was from and used to tell me about when she was younger. The necklace plot thickens, Brian. What could it mean? Where is this <laughs> necklace from, Isaac? Earth? Yeah. How is it recognizable? I'm going to go out and say it, Brian. I think she's going to be in like a Jupiter princess or something. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. We're, she's she's yeah. royalty for sure. And of, of course, of and of course, she'll be the key to peace. Uh... We have a new princess. She's going to want a policy of peace. Uh. <laughs> Maybe the necklace will literally be a key. 
no uh, knowing Crux Dogady, like she'll be able to hold it up and it'll start shining and like it'll destroy Crux Dogady's evil. <laughs> <laughs> the so, shining like, light yeah, of the little girl. Him and the fish will just boil away in their tank. <laughs> ah, my fish! <laughs> Not the power of friendship. <laughs> Oh boy. Yep, that's what I'm expecting. <laughs> Sorry to run off on that tangent, listeners. But you know how these things work with like princesses and lost royalty and like a magic <laughs> jewel and the forces of evil. <laughs> that's what we're expecting for sure. So she gets her necklace back. Vera tries to send both of them back to Earth, and Tobia rejects it, says he wants to see this through. We learn that his parents were in the colony development business, but they died in an accident. Bernadette does opt to go back, but then she stows away again on the Mother Vanguard. So she she pretends to go back, but she actually doesn't, uh, which is a little odd, right? I mean, she her dream is to visit Earth. They were about to send her back to Earth, but she said no. So definitely something going on there. Turns out that Crux is on Io, the, the a moon of Jupiter. The Cross of Vanguard launches their attack on Io to destroy the, the Jupiter Empire. Brian, as a lover of astronomy and the great science of the moons and the stars, was Io like your go-to location for crux like were you like of course he's going to be on the moon of jupiter he can't be on the planet and if he's not in a space station where else could he be yeah i mean you'd, you'd have to go with the moon you can't put anything on jupiter I mean, it's just one raging storm yeah just like a giant gas ball so yeah i think io or any, you know any of the other moons that makes sense so i'm glad they didn't plop a building on jupiter right i, I think i would have been out at that point <laughs> we put it on the surface of jupiter the, the most evil thing, though, what, what I was actually expecting was them to say that Dogadi is located in the middle of the great of the big red spot. Yeah, like, of course, he's at the most defensible location, the eye of the storm. <laughs> yeah, and he would have died as soon as you flew into the great red spot, too. So. I'm, I'm sure construction efforts would have been perilous at best. Yes, agree. So they begin the attack, and here's where we get your, your point about the Mother Vanguard only being one ship, Isaac. Here's where it comes to bite them in the ass, because the Mother Vanguard is greeted by a big barrage of fire from Io, which includes 280 mobile suits. Right, yeah. I Dare I say this is the bulk of the Jupiter Empire's forces? They're, uh, I hope so. They're, I mean, in a, they're getting... <laughs> yeah. They're in a circle protecting the president, and... There's capital ships there. There's like his main fortress. And then there's multiple mobile armors. And then all the different mobile suits we've seen so far from the Jupiter Empire. It's just the the line in the sand is drawn and they're all there protecting the president. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, I'm here reading volume two, knowing this is a six volume manga. And I'm going, wow, we're, we're getting to the point real quick here. Yeah. Isaac. If this is the final battle, what the heck happens in the rest of the volume? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We're going to find out. Crossman Vanguard pulls a little bit of a ruse here. They launch their Zondos. Uh, with no pilots in them on autopilot because they, again, they couldn't resupply them. There were no parts. But so they use them as decoys. And Kincaid takes the crossbones and a team of the Pezbatals that they had stolen or they had captured from the previous battle, and they kind of go around the back, right? Uh, the mechanic, there was that sad part, Isaac, did you see where the mechanic said farewell to the to the Zondos as they went off? Because he, you know, he'd been maintaining them all these years, and now they're, they're just going to go out there to get destroyed. I was a little sad for him. Yeah, I mean, we almost never see mechanic as as main characters, but that must be what they feel, right? You know, some yeah. suits don't come back. How did you feel about the new Jupiter Empire suit that shows up? The Vagon or the Vagon? It looks like oh. a, it's got wheels on it that can, I don't know, it can like roll around or something. Oh, I thought you were talking about the Royal Guard unit. The one that looks like a Xenomorph. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, that yeah that one. That one looks terrifying. Yeah, there's there's a handful of these black xenomorph-looking mobile suits that are the royal guard to protect the president. Those look pretty cool. But these wheeled ones too. I were were those wheels protecting them from fire, or did that help them stay more mobile on the surface of Io? It was unclear. Again, this is a downside <laughs> of of manga, right? For mobile suit battles, you can't really tell if they're actually rolling around or if they're just stationary right but I, I did get the sense that they were rolling around yeah okay for our listeners who haven't read this manga series yet okay so we had the cool xenomorph looking uh black mobile suits that were uh, the royal guard great then we had this mobile suit that had these half circles covered in spikes on their shoulders and then half circles covered in spikes on their legs and when they kind of squat the two halves of the circle combine into one circle and they're able to kind of roll around. <laughs> it's very Mad Maxy. Yeah, me. it's yeah, that or I don't know if you remember Star Wars the Clone Wars. Yes, the dro- the rolling droids. Right. They had the Hailfire droid, all my Star Wars nerds. The Hailfire droids. These things move kind of in the same way, two big hoop wheels and they kind of just roll around fighting. <laughs> Jupiter technology everybody. All right. It's a strange world out there, Isaac. Yes. But, um, man, Crossbone Vanguard is, they got their hands full, and they're kind of losing the fight, Brian. Yeah, I think they're getting overwhelmed. Again, you got 280 versus, what do they got, like, five, seven? Yeah, one, one very powerful ship, and then eight mobile suits? Something like that. 12? Yeah, there's not very many. <laughs> Two of them are Gundams, but still, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's an uphill battle for sure. The Xenomorph ones, I believe those are called the Elevados, by the way. Oh, okay. Those make me feel funny. Um, I peed a little. <laughs> yeah, just a little nervous. Kincaid, though, comes up with a pretty good solution to get rid of these Vagons, the, the, the rolling ones. He throws his beam Zanber at one's head. Then he grabs the Zanber with his scissor anchor, which is like this pincer thing that comes out of his chest, and it's on a chain. And so he he grabs the Zanber with the scissor anchor and he spins it around, uh, kind of like a ball and chain. But except instead of a ball on the end, there's a giant you know cutlass, and he just twirls it around, cutting up all these poor vagons in his way. <laughs> so I thought that was cool. That was like you know one of the higher points of the of the the battling in this manga. It was pretty great. And then Tobia and Zabine they stop. You know they're trying to go find Bugatti, and they stop at some lava. And something is emerging out of this lava, Isaac. What is it? Wasn't it a mobile armor? Yes, it's the it's a mobile armor with five eyes that are actually <laughs> turrets. It, it looks like I'm going to use a Transformers analogy here again. It looks like a Cybertronian form of a Seeker, so like Starscream, with five eyes and a big arm dangling down like an elephant. And this mobile armor is actually named the Elefante, which uh, had me cracking up. <laughs> I mean, yes, it had like a main trunk, but it was almost like an evolved shark kind of manta thing. It had like three giant fins. Yeah, it was like triangle shaped. Yeah. Kinda. It was weird. Abstract. I kind of liked it though. It was neat. I, I liked it. I, I liked that it was hiding in lava. I think it was lava. Yeah, I'd go further and say it was Lovecraftian. There you go. Its eyes then become bits, Isaac. Which proved pretty difficult for the Crossbone Vanguard, uh, which also made me think that, you know, for being advanced new type machines, the Crossbones don't have any bits or funnels, which is a little odd to me. No, Brian, they put all their budget into anti-beam cloaks. (laughs) 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 Oh, who read? Someone needs to redo that budget. Who would have thought this would bite us in the back that we can't (laughs) deploy our forces at different places like we could if we had bits? (laughs) 
<laughs> the elephante is pretty pretty tough isaac here we see the crossbones take the first real damage of the manga i would say the the elephante's trunk it takes off zabine's uh leg not i mean not his leg but the x2's leg which is right. that's like the first real major damage that a crossbone gundam has taken so far yeah and even kincaid is having a having a tough time fighting these bits it's, it's actually tobia the one that sent is is the one that senses their pattern and he's able to shoot down a few in his crappy like Pez Batala, which is the, the axe face thing, the Sharktacon suit, which in a pretty cool shot, Isaac, he uses one of the bits as a mid-air like, boost. He jumps on it and jumps off of it to get onto the mobile armor, and then he shoves his axe face you know, in, uh, which was great because you actually get to see it used as its anti-ship you know, purpose. Yeah. As Toby is ripping it up with his axe face. That's a weird sentence I never thought I'd say in my life. <laughs> the, the mobile armor moves its trunk to kill him, but Kincaid cuts it off, you know, with the big cutlass, and it's a it's great shot of both Tobia and Kincaid on top of the mobile armor. Kincaid digs in with his, like, fist sabers. What would you call those things? You know what I'm talking about? It was like those beam fisticuffs things. Beam wrist blades. Beam forearm blades. Yeah, those things were neat. They were just ripping up this mobile armor. It's going down, so they jump off. Uh, the mobile armor actually crashes into one of the ground ships, which was surrounding Dugati's stronghold. Yeah. That's when you get your vice captain moment, Isaac. Yeah. So on the bridge, Barra doesn't want to send her ship forward because I think she felt like it was the wrong decision, either because they would be exposing themselves to too much danger or they'd be inflicting too much damage on the enemy. One of those two. Which one was it, Brian? I'm trying to remember. Uh, I think it was just a lot of hesitancy on her part. Just maybe she just doesn't know what the right call is. Yeah. Yeah. So her second in command, who's older than her, he decides, you know what? We have to go in. Our shields are about to fail, and waiting out here will be death. At least if we get closer, we can do more damage to the enemy, kind of outmaneuver them, and support our troops closer. So he moves on in. <laughs> our eight people that are on the. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, once they're gone, it's just a ship in space. <laughs> So he flies the ship in, Barra shocked, and she's like, okay, this is clearly the right decision. Go ahead and do it. You have command. And he kind of gives her a look over his shoulder if you catch it, Brian. A little bit of an eye roll. He's like, sure, whatever. You know, uh, yeah. like a man's got to do what a man's got to do. <laughs> <laughs> why, why are you not in the kitchen with the other girl making yeah. bread? <laughs> why don't you go make us a sandwich here on the bridge crew? <laughs> I thought this whole sequence was great, Isaac. When you say charge in, they literally charge into Dogati's front door. They, like, literally shove the ship, the mo- the mother vanguard, like, the the little front part goes straight into his front door, and they open fire with what they call the broadside guns. Yeah. So like, these guns on the side, and there's, what, like, I don't know, 30 of them on each side, and they just shoot these massive beams you know, out to the sides. So they literally park the ship in this guy's house, and they fire at him. <laughs> you know while the ship is in his house just blowing the thing to hell right yeah continuous beams out the side over everything that the jupiter empire had on the ground it was brutal i the mother vanguard is just a beast it was a brilliant decision or at least the only real decision that could have been made that or uh, stay in scenario stay at 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 gun range above the base and get shot right it it does take a little bit of a damage here though i think the mass falls down so that's not good no there goes our symbol (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> so zabine we get a, a quick shot of zabine he's very excited isaac he's all giddy that they defeated the jupiter empire he says you know this will unite the people who support the aristocracy 
but and then we he he says something like Barra is only and then he trails off and we don't know what he's thinking. Yeah. Uh, Bernadette steals a car and then and she leaves. Kincaid and his team, you know, they head over to the Mother Vanguard. The Mother Vanguard teams are now preparing for hand to hand combat, and we leave off on a picture of of Dogati saying, "You know, let them come." So this dude, his house was just wrecked by a pirate ship with beam weapons and some pirate Gundams, and he he doesn't seem to be too deterred. I mean, he must have some ace up his sleeve, Isaac. Either he knows something we don't, or our heroes are overestimating their own abilities against a mysterious enemy. So that's where Volume 2 ends, folks. I'm uh, pretty excited to see you know, what happens here with Mr. Crux Dogati. He seems to be a bit on the ropes, but he doesn't seem to be too disturbed about it. Isaac, so if you were to animate this today, would you change the art style, or would you animate it the way it is? I would absolutely change the art style. <laughs> Interesting. The, the, what this reminds me of is like right now, for example, DC, you know, they have a lot of DC animated shows, right? Yeah. The, the Dark Knight Returns, or uh, I think they've, right now they've been releasing um, The Long Halloween. These are all very famous Batman stories. But they've been doing all of them in the same animation style. But all the stories that they're adapting have a very specific art style to where if you look at it, they're not the same at all. And like to me, I wish that DC would animate it like it looks in the comic book because to me, a lo- the Long Halloween looks a certain way, or Hush looks a certain way, and when you watch the, the the their animation version, it's just it's sort of not bland, but it's homogenized. I'll say. Yeah. The designs in here have a certain charm, right? They're very piratey. Would you be able to animate it as down to earth as Hathaway is? Huh. Interesting. I think you could. And I think you should. And let me explain why, or at least likely it would happen. Because this has been the Gundam trend. Gundam has had a maturing of an animation style over the recent years. The last time we got anything that was sort of softy and kind of chibi was Gundam Age. And mm, yeah. that didn't do too well. And it hasn't kept a, a, a warm place in the fandom's heart compared to things like Unicorn, which blew everybody away, which Hathaway, which got rave reviews, Double uh, O, Iron-Blooded Orphans. I mean, Double O had its own problems, but at least people could agree that that was a pretty solid series as far as the realism. So yeah. I think that would continue if Crossbone Gundam was made into a series or an OVA. Yeah, I guess if, even within the Universal Century, the last soft thing we got was Victory Gundam, I would say. Yeah, and as soft as it looked, its themes were just so heavy <laughs> because <laughs> because Tamino was being was, was going through depression, unfortunately, at the yeah. time. <laughs> so it it has a very brutal ending and and brutal's brutal pacing in the story. This is a bit more of a simple story in terms of the bad guys aren't quite as nuanced as Zeon. Yeah, like I doubt you would find many Jupiter Empire fans relative to how many Zeon fans you would find. Is that a problem? Or are you okay with that? I think it would be okay if we elaborated on the Jupiter Empire, if we saw more burns, you know, that'd be an interesting dynamic and kind of flesh out Jupiter more. But I'd be surprised if we see this really animated at all, just because it's very much a a side story that had minimal ramifications, to my knowledge, on the rest of UC. Well, you should know, Isaac, that there was a poll, I think in 2016, and this was the most requested unanimated series. Wow. So apparently people want to see this. I think I need to finish the series to see if I want to see it. <laughs> I mean, it's got some cool designs. I, if we think about the mecha here, 
I really like the X, the Crossbone X1. I think it looks neat. It's got some cool weapons. But man, that X2 looks great on the page. X2 would be at the top of my list to buy in this series just because how often do we see a completely all-black Gundam? It looks like a ferocious beast. It's so powerful. Yeah, it looks great. Just the way that the solid black looks on the page. I mean, I don't know if you could create that You know, when you would animate it. It might be a little harder to create that contrast. But just having it all black, having it keep that shot lancer from F91 is pretty cool. I think the X2 looks the best. Well, uh, a big kick I got out of this series, Isaac, is that the Crossbone actually has another model number. Did you read that part? No, I only saw X1 and X2. Oh, the Crossbone is actually the F97. Ah, so there were six more? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, SNRI renamed it to hide that they gave it to the Crossbone Vanguard. Ah, of course they did. God, if you're making mobile suits in the Universal Century, like, you're just wheeling dealing these things to any faction you can, right? Under the table. How do you explain it? Like, how are they explaining all these all this stuff to the Federation? Like, even in Hathaway's <laughs> Flash, are you like, oh, no, another shipment of Messers got stolen. Oh, <laughs> man. Well, better luck next time. <laughs> I think there's a lot of shoulder shrugging and a lot of money being passed back and forth. Yeah, I'm like, oh, we found a suitcase full of money. I don't <laughs> oh, darn. Well, nobody came to collect it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the crossbones are actually the F97, uh, which is cool. I like that continuity, right? You know, saw the F91. We're just finding out these are the F97s. They do have the biosensor, just like the F91 did. Although it is a little disappointing. They don't have the VSBRs, maybe the after-image armor. Lots of cool physical weapons, Isaac. I just feel like they, they've got no bits, no funnels, no VSBRs. They seem a little underarmed from that perspective. I guess that was just tech that didn't carry over, like bits. You know, it just fell by the wayside and all the money went into the ship. And having two Gundams instead of one and just a handful of support mobile suits. What did you think about the explanation for the X-shaped thruster? I guess it's okay. <laughs> I'll say this. It works about as well as why Gundam X is shaped like an X. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So, listeners, the stated reason for the thruster being in an X shape on the crossbones is that it is for maneuvering in a Jupiter gravity environment. That is, having a very uh, powerful gravity well. So, instead of having big thrusters everywhere, they wanted one that could then shift positions and serve the purpose of many thrusters. And I think I'll go with that. Maybe it's not the best, but at least they attempted to give a reason why it's shaped like an X. So I'll, I'll, I'll go with it. I'll give them that one. Sure. Why not? <laughs> and the obvious symbolism. So any other thoughts on Crossbone Gundam Volumes 1 and 2, Isaac? Going in blind, I was very happy to read them. It had some great action. Very curious to see where this goes. Not the biggest fan of the Jupiter Empire, even though I'm a big Burns fan. I still think it's uh, so far it's an interesting story very curious to see if Zabine turns out to be the main villain of the story and overtakes Dogati and the Jupiter Empire at the last moment and kind of waiting for the inevitable Bernadette reveal that she's a Jupiter princess and you know she'll be the key to peace and the 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 happy ending where everybody holds hands at the end (laughs) power of friendship baby there you go other than that though I recommend it I would give this four out of five horrors Brian oh I like it so I agree. I definitely would recommend this. It was a good read. It was an easy read, Isaac. I don't think you had to think too hard during this. No, we've had worse, like F90, I think. 
silhouette formula f91 yeah we're like oh boy <laughs> yeah i think this is just a enjoyable read from cover to cover it's an upbeat adventure tale you got gundams dressed as pirates going around slashing things with a clear enemy you know one side is much more morally morally questionable than the other so not as much nuance but it's fun it's a pirate adventure i say read it volumes one and two so far i'd definitely give it a solid eight out of ten you know, I need to see the conclusion before I give it any higher than that, but uh, it's definitely worth reading, and I'm excited to keep going because it is six volumes, Isaac. If my worry was like, you know, after two, would I not like this? Would I not want to read it anymore? But I think I'm still good. I'm all for it. We've already had one epic battle. Let's let's keep going. See where the plot thickens and what happens. Listeners, you should definitely check out Gundam, uh, Crossbone Gundam if you haven't already. So remember to like, comment, subscribe, leave us a comment what you think about Crossbone Gundam, which Crossbone Gundam is your favorite out of the first two volumes, or which one is your favorite in a later volume that we haven't seen yet. And let us know, <laughs> will Bernadette's necklace end up being the cause of the downfall of Crux Dogady? Is she a Jupiter princess? Can the power of friendship destroy the forces of evil? <laughs> All right, everybody, don't forget, before you go to sleep tonight, stand next to your bed, salute that framed picture of Amro Ray, the greatest of all time, and recite our Federation pledge. Into the night, Captain Bright, Londo Bell, Zeon Fell, liberty and justice, Amro, trust us. You've said your farewell, now we'll give them hell. Good night, everybody. (laughs) 